just a simple man trying to make my way in the universe. Welcome back. Hey, everybody. Good to be back. What's going on? Not a whole lot. Not a whole lot. Enjoying my uh, nice Saturday. Oh, beautiful Saturday. It's like 75 degrees. I just mowed the lawn. You and your grass. Oh, my grass. I love it, man. (laughs) But we're back bringing you guys another episode, this week's episode. I think we're going to do something along the lines of what we like about each franchise, or at least a couple of franchises, in-universe or otherwise. Sci-fi and fantasy. Might run a little longer on this one, but uh, we'll see where where the road takes us as we do here in the Dresch Day Cantina. Well, in mentioning franchises, I feel like we should start off, for me at least, on Lord of the Rings. Well, let's start with Loader. I... What do you appreciate about J.R.R. Tolkien's... Everything. (laughs) (laughs) Me too, trust me. I think for me it's the depth and the symbolism. Okay. He's got a story going back to literally his universe's birth. Yeah. He, He has a creation myth that he has written for his universe... A pantheon of gods, uh, greater, lesser gods, and uh, a one god that started it all. It, it's just the depth. Everything has layers and layers and layers, and there's so much detail. It's kind of a mix between Greek mythos as far as the um, deities are concerned. Greek mythos with like the Abrahamic religions. A little bit of that, a little bit of the Because you Norse. have angels, and then you have like one great god, the creator, and then you have kind of some, yeah, you do have some Norse in there because it's medieval-like, and you have mages and seers, and that's very Norse. Yeah. Um, uh, there's a lot to it. I mean, there's even little hints of like Hinduism, mm-hmm. and he took a little bit of everything. and he wasn't kinda... biased, that's for sure. No, no, no. <laughs> Very well-read man, but I think it's the it's the depth, the absolute, you know, having created written languages and spoken languages for his peoples in his galaxy or his universe. I think that really is a big part of what draws me to Lord of the Rings, and I I re-listen to the audio book books and reread the books. Pretty often, you know, at least once every other year. Sure. And After you I, dust off the pages. Right. I mean, <laughs> honestly, I probably have read those. Uh, the Silmarillion, The Hobbit, The the Lost Tales, the all of them. Silmarillion. Seven or eight times. Still my favorite by far. Just the amount of depth and the amount of just... It's such a saturated story. Well, and it reads kind of just like as a, a list of things that he came up with. Yeah, I mean, but it gives you, it paints a picture of each character the way it's, except for the Blue Wizards, they're still kind of, I you don't they really will get much forever, They will forever be a mystery, and I love that. <laughs> me too, but it still bugs me. It's like, okay, you have two brothers who are some of the most badass wizards. Well, brothers. Well, okay, you know what I mean. I mean they're gods. Yeah, but... but for all intents and purposes, they're, they're siblings. But it's like they're super powerful. They go through all these, they go on these journeys and then they just disappear. They go off into the east. Yeah, that's right. And it's like after that, you don't hear from them. Right. But the east wasn't able to muster a whole ton of power. So obviously they did their job. Or they died. 
Well, they had to their, have accomplished their, their, their mortal it. form died. I well, say. they may they had to have accomplished their mission because in the war of the the last war of the ring, yeah, the East doesn't really pose that much of a threat, and the Lonely Mountain isn't overwhelmed. But how do we know? We only got the story of the South, North, and the West coming to fight Mordor. Right, and if the East had come, it would have been a totally different war. Because they'd have been on Mordor's side. Uh, exactly. So they obviously achieved their task, which was to keep the East out of the war. Or have them join on the side of the West, which is unlikely. But they obviously accomplished it. So whether they're alive or not, they, they achieved their mission. Eastermen did join. Some. And those were... But Not they, they nearly were, as many as could have. No, they were the desert people. Yeah, but they joined with more the Easterlings. Yes, but they they didn't they didn't end up succeeding. Obviously, as soon as Rohan showed up, they were they were toast. But right. I just like and there's a few other things in there that like he really gets point with like the nine men and the uniting of everything and the wizards and what they were supposed to be. I want like, to know how many times he rewrote the Silmarillion stories when he was alive to get everything to make canonical sense. Probably like you didn't don't just, take him very long. You don't just stumble on that kind of stuff. The amount of times he would have had to have reworked little stories here and there had to have been incredible. Well, I think, given he has, what, 10 or 11 books... I think, in total. Well, three Hobbits, he has, three Lord of the Rings. Is... He has The Hobbit, The Lord of the Rings, so that's four books. The Silmarillion was put together after. That's six books. The Hobbit is one book. Okay, the ho- okay, I'm thinking... You're thinking the movies. Yeah, okay, there's one Hobbit book, and then there's the... Well, there's Lord the six Rings Lord of the Rings books, but they're yes. sold in three books. I mean, you have book one and two in book one, The Fellowship. And then you have the Tales <clears throat> book. But all of those were not written directly by him. All of it was written by him. Well, it was his... It's kind of like with George Lucas. It's all his brainchild. People just His His son out. and grandson took his writings, which were not in book form they were just the stories he had written mm-hmm. and they put them together into the the book i believe it's the book of lost tales volume 1 and 2 and the silmarillion and a couple others no he wrote the silmarillion he wrote it but it was published after his death okay published you're saying writing i was thinking you mean he his wrote, son wrote his son wrote all he wrote all of them he wrote all of it yeah. But his son he didn't... collected all of the, the pieces and put them together. Yeah. yeah. And actually published them. Mm-hmm. Son and grandson. Well, he didn't live long enough, unfortunately, to publish all of his works, nor to see his movies come to fruition. Great but... authors never live long enough. That is true. <laughs> that is true. They could live to 190 and not live long enough. Well, don't say that, because Drew Karpishin is still alive, and he wrote a lot of Star Wars and Mass Effect books. So I hope he sticks around for a while. <laughs> There's a lot of really great authors right now that yes. I absolutely, I'd be kind of heartbroken if we lost them. I uh, trust me, I would too. Because Drew's one of them. People like you and me, and uh, some of our friends, readers are hard to come by nowadays. Unless you're as old as we are, like it's just one of those things. People don't want to read books anymore, and I I like to read every once in a while. I do do graphic novels uh, in college. Obviously, I I was able to read more paperbacks more novel books but um as the years progressed it 
you know, you get married, you have a kid, you have a house, and reading's hard to come by. <laughs> but beyond that, I think from Lord of the Rings, I just really like how simple the story is. There's a plot, there's heroes, there's villains, there's trials and tribulations along the way. Well, and it's kind of an epic because yeah. it's good versus evil. It's very black and white. It's kind of two-dimensional in that. But it's it's classic but mid it's very classic mid twentieth century reading. Well, and you can see similarities in most stories before that. I mean, there isn't a whole lot of gray in those stories, and you can see the difference in that between it's modern just the writing. time period. But he was also from Europe, so Europe has a lot of that mythos, mythos, medieval influence. That northern, the you know, the Renaissance, the medieval times. Like he. He grew up learning that in school versus here in the U.S. We're only 250 years old. Like, and we don't learn anything in school? Well, not anymore. <laughs> I mean, shoot, I remember learning a lot. And I just, yeah, we won't get into that. But um, I do feel bad for the kids nowadays. That's all I got to say. Yeah. But uh, I, I just, I love the simplicity of the story. It's direct, but it's in depth. Yeah, absolutely. And it's the depth that I love. Every character has... A personality, its own their their own story and their own mission. You know what always amazed me is basically every character has its own character arc. That's what I'm like. I every mean, character very has a few, story, right? Very few characters in his universe don't have some sort of arc. Yeah, like even side characters like Galadriel. If you read enough into the lore, he wrote a character arc for her, a redemption arc. Well, and we see that in. In the Hobbit story, when she finds the nine, uh, the nine raids when oh. their crypts are broken up. What? Okay, okay, okay. The Hobbit movie bothers me because a lot of what happens in the movie doesn't necessarily happen in the book. Okay, that's every Star Wars, Lord of the Rings book. To movie, even Harry Potter was like that. The books well, are the way Lord different. of the Rings. The Lord of the Rings were pretty accurate. I mean, there's Here's some the differences. Thing. You you can't fit a seven hundred to a thousand page novel in two hours of a film. It's no, not they possible. tried to fit what five hundred pages into nine hours, and failed miserably, and had to add a whole bunch of stuff that wasn't in the book. Exactly. They should have just made it as a movie. They should have, but shoulda, coulda, woulda. They did a good job with. Now, oh yeah, absolutely. I I do agree, but that's the problem when you go from movie when you go from book to movie, they miss a lot. But when you go from movie to book, it's terrible. Not always. Oh gosh. Not e- always. E- it depends on the author. Now, what I what's really what's worse than that is video game to movie. Yeah. The Witcher. The Witcher did it well. I really, really... That's hard to pull off because there's so many things you can change. Oh, but they did so well with The Witcher. I know you don't really know a lot of the lore, but take it from me. It's pretty interesting. I read the books, played all the games. I will tell you from someone who has, going to the TV show, freaking amazing. It, it is a pretty amazing TV show, but I do feel like they miss a lot. They do, but that's I feel like that's only natural, especially when you're trying to portray words to... Well, and you're trying to break into a new market. Because a part of it is The Witcher has been novels and it's been video games. 
but they're trying to pull the old Witcher fans while drawing new fans to the TV show who wouldn't have been fans because they don't do video games or they don't read novels, they don't have time, whatever it is. You know what I love about the Witcher? God rest my soul, I hope it doesn't happen. It's not woke. And I hope it stays that way. (laughs) Everything that lives long enough will eventually get the woke cancer. Okay, it's got two seasons now. None of it's woke. I hope it stays that way. Oh, sometimes it can take 100 years. Look at Lord of the Rings. Well, I I didn't want to go there. I held myself back, but you went there. But eventually it will go woke. Oh, the like to dislike ratio. I haven't looked recently, honestly. Oh well, the dislikes are up almost uh, half. Oh, they haven't they haven't gotten rid of the dislike button. Nope. Well, that's shocking. Because I I last I heard, don't quote me on this, but last I heard, they were thinking about not doing another season because of how terrible it's getting reviewed. <clears throat> um, and that's fine with me. Take it off. I think that's sad. I think I it is. I'm glad it might get taken down. No, 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 no. That's terrible. If it can cost a woke company about a billion dollars, I'd be okay with another season. <laughs> I'd be I'd be okay with about another 45 seasons. That's the problem though. It's not a woke company. It's Amazon. How is Amazon not? Because they are a business, not a not a theatrical company. They're not like Hollywood or Universal Studios. Are they or... producing woke media? This is the first I've heard of it. Okay. Before they... this is They made a terrible mistake, and I hope they run it for 45 more seasons and lose 45 more billion dollars. Well, I do too, Get but... Get woke, go broke, leave politics out. <laughs> I'm just saying, I, I was kind of scared, because the, the previews for that came out uh, Super Bowl of this year. I remember seeing it, and I was like, did that really just happen? Like, am I really, am I really actually seeing this right now? And yeah. then, and then, and then I spoke with my father and my brother, who are huge Lord of the Rings fans. And my dad took us to see the Fellowship, and I think it was like 2001 when it came out. I saw Return of the King in theaters. Oh, amazing! Oh, that, that one's still my favorite. That is an experience. But I was like, I I was at my my dad's house for the Super Bowl, and I and he kind of looked at me, and I looked at him, and I was like, Is that legit? And he's like, God, I hope not. Like. <laughs> Here we are, three months later, terrible reviews, terrible just everything, man. It's getting battered left and right, rightfully rightfully so. Just leave politics out of everything. I don't want right-wing politics. I don't want left-wing politics. I don't want libertarian politics. I don't want centrist politics. I don't want politics. I want orcs getting smashed by elves and dwarves. That's it. (laughs) You get that. You just have to suffer through... Well, this has to be this way. It's somebody's opinion, I know. Exactly. But I, I think... My question is, where did all the black elves and black dwarves go? Did they have a genocide before the trilogy? <laughs> I'm, I'm just throwing that out there. There's none of them in the trilogy. Did they Did they exterminate the, uh... the lesser... Um, how are you explaining this away, Amazon? Because they probably looked at the original Lord of the Rings films and thought, oh, everyone in there was white. Well, that can't be. And I'm like, well, here's the thing. Well, but what's your in-universe explanation Hold for on. that? Ex- let me get there. When you look at the original timepieces of Tolkien, 
He wrote a book. He didn't write the movies. So people calling Tolkien racist, if you think Tolkien's a racist, you're an idiot. He wrote a book. He didn't write the character's colors. So whoever did the movies and did the casting, that's on them. But all these people coming out saying Tolkien was racist, blah, blah. I'm like, you guys are stupid. How do you pull the picture and color of an elf from a book? No, that's very simple. Fair-skinned, light-haired, blue-eyed. Bingo. They were described as... Uh, Northern European, Nord, like Nordic white. Do you know why they white, were described white. that way? Because they're elves. Be- not just they're elves. That's he wrote the... it. He doesn't need an excuse. Exactly. He decided. Bingo. But the time piece, the piece, the actual story right. takes place in that part right. of the world. He, right. was, he was drawing from that mythos, the Norse mythos, the Northern European. Well, and... I hate to break your hearts, but demographically speaking, it's all white up there. Well, and where the really sad part for me is he wrote essentially an all-white story, which is okay. That's not good or bad, but you're calling that racist. What if he had written a story where the only black characters were portrayed as backwards, uh, uncivilized, with no control, with no... Wouldn't that be racist? I feel like that would be more racist than being non-inclusive. Right. Yeah. He didn't He didn't exclude anyone. I feel like that would be... He included dis- who he included. That would be disingenuous as opposed to not even including them at all. Fair enough. But that's why I'm like... No, I agree with you. But that's where I'm like, why are you calling... A man who wrote a, a fantasy novel in the, what, 50s? Uh, yeah, no, somewhere 40s. It's like, okay, the guy grew up in Northern Europe with way more history and knowledge than us. Well, not Northern Europe. It would have been... Uh, well, England. It would have been like Western. I mean, it's England. It, it's it's an island filled with white it's people. Considered, it's considered Northern Europe. Well, at the time, it's it's an island filled with white people. I mean... But his stories were based off of Norse and medieval mythos. Well, and his experience in World War One. Exactly. I mean, how else do you explain the Balrog? Yeah. Giant smoking fire beast. I mean, if that's not the flames from a flamethrower, I don't know what is. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> but it's like, and then they take that and so they want to call him racist. Okay, well, you wouldn't have what you have today. You wouldn't have things to gawk at if it wasn't for him. He created something. Just appreciate it for what it is. Exactly. What do you think should be the next universe? That's a good question. Um, kind of got into The Witcher. What do you What do you like oh, about The Witcher? Oh, man. So, what I really appreciate... You gotta pick one. Does it have to be... Okay, nothing specific, but the spells. Right, so Witcher's the magic system. I love the magic system because again, it's it's simple. Okay, it's basic. If you, and it's cool because it's just like a lot of of, of history in our world. If you were born with any kind of magic blood or anything, you were like you were sought after to be mages and warlocks and witches and wizards were liaisons for kings. Well, and the Picts and the. The Celts, yeah. and we, we had that, if you could have claim to magical blood, obviously they didn't actually have magic, but if you had claim to magical blood, you could step up into a whole new realm of the upper class. The problem was, 
non-magical beings, humans, started to get jealous. Okay. And they started to kill mages, and they would kill them publicly, a lot like the the witches of our world from... The trials, the witch trials and the Spanish Inquisition. All that stuff, like... But but then then obviously that was resolved throughout the story and wizards, witches, and humans learned to live together again. Kings would use them in their courts as like their liaisons or their emissaries. Advisors. Yeah. And it's cool because the mages have their own guild. Okay. And it's like it's its own I really love how they did it. Like the mages will have their own story and then the witchers have their own story and the humans have their own story. A lot like Lord of the Rings, and then it melds them all together. Yeah. But with the magic system, it's cool because a lot like in Skyrim where you pick your school of focus. Right. Witcher's the same way. Like if you want to focus on restoration magic or healing properties, bingo. If you want to focus on more destructive properties, bingo. Elusive, go. But fire magic is banned. Well, I'll tell you why. Because of the destruction behind it. Pansies. What happens is, it's a lot like in Star Wars, where once a mage or a witch or a wizard or a warlock, once they get a taste of that destructive power, it corrupts them forever. Right. And the amount of destructive property that a mage who wields fire can do can burn brimstone. Well, I'm sure it's terrible. I'm sure there's a lot to it. Exactly. Not just that, but the witcher magic. Like, witchers have their own magic that not even mages in, can learn. Okay. And so they go to the school when they're when they're being trained. And they, it's kind of like this, like, Zen temple where they have teachers who will... They, they train these wit, young witchers how to harness this power. There's five spells. There's Ard, Irden, Quen, Axie, and Igni. Igni is a fire spell. It's just a quick burst of fire that, like, explodes in front of like you. Like a cloud of flame. Yeah. And then there's Ard, which is a force spell. Like, like a push. force push. Yeah. Then there's Axie, which is a calming spell. Uh, Irden is like a... I don't want to say it's a trap, but it's almost like a rune where you can you can place a magical spell, like a barrier almost. Like a rune of binding? Yeah, exactly. And it traps monsters and magical beings or humans or whomever. And then there's uh, Quen, which is like a... It, it's a shield. Around, it puts a shield around you and it can absorb, depending on how powerful and how mastered the user is, can like withstand. It's almost like a shield okay. that covers the whole self. Like a force barrier. Yeah. And it can withstand, like I said, depending on how mastered the user is, it can withstand up to one blow from a she- from like a sword or a blast from a catapult. Ooh, you know, it depends. Wow. But only witchers can learn these powers, which is cool. So it's like... So they have their own yeah. little corner of magic. It's subsequent to the other powers they have. They have heightened senses... But then they have the they have like these back pocket spells where if they're in a pinch, they're they just like, They have another oh. way out. Yeah. Yep. So you actually like the limitations of the of the magic yeah. system. Yeah, they can't run around and just destroy I mean they it's can It's not Harry Potter. Right. But eventually a mage or a warlock or whomever, they're gonna burn themselves out. Like right. and you, you you read it in the books, like after a mage uses so much power, they get exhausted. 
which is cool. It's like, so they don't, it's almost like where they have a mana pool, almost like from Skyrim, where once your mana pool's out, you're, you're screwed. Right. You got to fight with your hands. Like, but obviously they can recuperate. Right. And I just. So it'd be like, it'd be like a metaphysical fatigue. Pretty much. Yeah. Like it, it won't kill you, but you will get burnt out. You can't. Well, it's just like if, if someone who's used to fighting physically, like with a sword or an axe, goes into a long battle and does a lot of axe swinging, they're going to mm-hmm. be fatigued. And that's why destruction magic in The Witcher is looked down upon for the self. like Because mages are like, well, if I use a lightning spell and fry everybody here, I, I'm depleted. Right. Like I'm useless for the rest of the battle. Instead of healing and barriering or using like earth spells to crush enemies with trees just as effective you may not kill as many people but you won't exhaust your resources nearly as quickly yeah so why is why is fire magic not balanced by that fatigue because it's <laughs> it's seen as i don't want to oh, so it's I, a stigma it's this, it's the stigma behind it but it's because of what happened in the past okay. so in the history of the witcher during the there I can't remember the name of one of the revolutions, but the mages were fighting against the humans and kings and other things and they were using fire magic and just burning, raising parts of the planet. And eventually they kinda had this come to Jesus meeting where they were like There's not gonna be anywhere left to live. Right. We're gonna end up just immolating everything and then Whoever didn't get captured and beheaded by the kings and the humans, you know, they were like, well, not only is it burning up all of our magic, but it's it's turning them into these almost demonic like beings. So it has kind of like an effect, the the way the dark side of the force has an effect. It exactly. actually corrupts. Yeah. And once like I said, once you get a taste for that, your like your magical soul, your 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 spectral being, if you will, is like tainted. And you can never stop hungering for that desire for power. And not only that, but it's like as soon it was banned by the mages. And if you were caught using it, they would like exile you. You can't ever come back to any populated city. And if you do, like you were apprehended and arrested and killed like immediately. Hmm. It's pretty cool stuff, man. Like that's that's actually a really interesting magic system. Yeah. Most magic systems are Infinite amount of power. <laughs> well, not necessarily an infinite amount of power. Like, take Harry Potter, for for example. You don't have an infinite amount of power. It's really it's on based on... Well, no, it's based on how powerful you could potentially be. Some wizards are more adept, just naturally. Uh, Tom Riddle, just super adept. Well, adept is more like a middle, well, middle I, of the I road. Mean, they just have, like... They, they have just a natural have a, finesse a natu- for it. natural they have a natural ability and they have a higher level they can reach. Hmm. Uh, in my opinion, Harry Potter's he's just an average person. I mean, he's not anything special, but he's not really, really bad. I think she explained... J.K. Rowling, I feel like, explains that through lineages. Kind like of. Two, two magical parents who have a pure blood. Is going to be more powerful than a mix. But there's exceptions to that rule. Like Neville Longbottom has two magical parents. They're the ones that are tortured by Bellatrix Lestrange. I oh, believe. yeah, she's the Crucio. Um, 
and they torture to insanity. Neville grows up with his grandmother. She's a witch also. He's got witch wizard blood all the way back. Mm. He's not that special. I mean, he's, ter- he's a terrible end, wizard. I'm sorry. To- the reason I say he's not that special. We're moving into Harry Potter now, everybody. <laughs> the reason I say he's not that special is because at the beginning, he's terrible. Yeah. Uh, good character. He, he is well-intentioned. Not adept at magic. He, you can towards see him struggle, end, especially grows. in the books. You can see him struggle a lot. Right. And towards the end of the, the books, he has grown into a fairly... I would say above average magic wielder. Right. But then you have people like Hermione Granger, who on a technical level is a just blood. She's she's both parents are muggles. Non-magical users. And so she is way more technically adept. She is way more technically adept than even Harry Potter. She is one of the most powerful in her class so you you have that yes there's an example like for instance a part of the reason Voldemort is as powerful as he is is he's direct lineage to Salazar Slytherin who was a pureblood and all of his family was pureblood except Mm -hmm. his mother was a witch and his father was a muggle exactly but he is incredibly naturally adept. He's just naturally talented. See, that's why I feel like the randomization of Harry Potter universe, like it, like you said, it comes down to the individual. But at the same time, I feel like it comes down to the wand, to a degree. It's it's almost like pick your poison. Would you rather have a short sword, a long sword, a bastard sword, or a Zweihander? Everybody needs a wand. Exactly. There are different wands, and each wand is going to have a little bit different finesse. But, the you know, a two-handed claymore is going to be useless in somebody's hands who has trained with a gladius. Or a short sword. Or a likewise, sword. Likewise, if you put a gladius into somebody's hand who spent their entire life training with a spear. Or a beer ditch. Right. <laughs> It's totally useless. Right. So as long as you have a weapon that you are trained with, as long as you and your wand fit. But that's the problem. See, I feel like a lot of, well, at least a lot of the failures don't come, it comes from students not being able to to obtain that knowledge and to be able to actually use it. Right. To a point of... You know, where they can actually become adept with their skills. And there is some of that, but it just, it always bothered me in Harry Potter that there was no fatigue from casting spells. Exactly. That's like, where I appreciate the Witcher, because they do right. tire out. And, and Even Lord of the Rings, though. Gandalf? From swinging his staff and sword, not from using magic. Even Sauron. Gandalf is a very interesting character. Yes, they're gods, but let's not get into that. Let's just think in their moral well, form. Well, no, I wasn't going to go there. I was going to go with this, the, the magic system in Lord of the Rings is very unique in the fact that it is limitless, but well utilized. Well, the elves' magic is something completely different. Even the elves' magic is limitless. But it's a lesser magic it than is. the wizards. It is. Um, Same with the dwarves. 
Well, the dwarves have some magic. The elves have some magic. Even the men. Uh, the Numenorians do. Yeah, but they're men. But not the human men. Not okay. well, They're all human. Okay, you know what I mean, though. Numenorians, Numenorians were, blessed, were blessed. Which is why they have properties of magic. Right. But you know so, what I mean. It is a limitless system, and what I mean by that is, as an outsider looking in, Gandalf doesn't have any limitations. He could potentially just cast Fireball and blow up... <laughs> as many as he wants. All of Mordor. Yeah. He's limitless. But he's not allowed to. But he won't allow himself to. No, they were told they can't intervene with human He still affairs. can. He, he still can. can. He, he can, can physically intervene. do it. If he chose to, he could physically do it. I'm not saying he can't, but... The he's... system put in place by the author limited that. That's what I meant. Yes. And so it was really well done. In Harry Potter, it feels like... They can just cast spells without ever feeling with any the... sort of fatigue or any sort of anything. Yeah, it should There's be There's no like... repercussions. Right. There's no cost to, to a spell. So... Yeah, I feel like if you're going to cast a simple spell like like lighting up the end of your wand, Luminos, that's nothing. Like, you, that should take hardly anything. Yeah. But if you're going to cast something like, uh, if you're going to create a protective barrier like they do around the castle when the uh, Death Eaters are attacking, but you gotta remember that, that should physically drain you. But that, and you should feel it, right? But, but even the masters should be—you should see them having some drain, and then when it comes down and breaks, they should physically have a plummeting moment where you see it took an effect. They almost feel the exhaustion, right? But that's where I feel like, like I was saying earlier, that's where I feel like the power comes from the wand and not the user. Because if that <laughs> wand with the magic—remember, Ollivander makes the wands. Well, he's one of them, yes. So. That being said, if those wands were inlaid with magical properties... They're inlaid with magical items. That so you wand have, should be able... You have a dragon heartstring, a unicorn hair, or a phoenix feather. Those are the magical... Those are the mag, That's where the magical properties come that's from. That's my point. So depending on those properties in the wand, how much of it or whatever... That wand essentially is the pool of magic. Yeah, I'm, I'm not saying that it doesn't make sense. I'm saying I don't like it. No, I agree. I think it's like... If, it's if a you, really dumbed down system. Especially when they're running around. I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. Cool books. The movies were oh, yeah, fairly well done. Them. But when they're running around just casting all these spells left and right for hours and hours doing all these fighting stuff and none of them are tired. And I'm like, dude, you just wasted like six guys... Casting spells for thirty minutes, running in a circle, like, and you're not tired, right? That that's where I draw the conclusion of okay, the wand is what holds. The well, power either reserve. either either there is no power reserve, or it must come from somewhere else. The finesse comes think, from the user. The wand is the power source. I, I think there is no power source necessarily. There has to be if it's a magical world, though. Not necessarily. You can't just you have magic pulled from thin air. There has to be a system you can. in place. You no. absolutely can't. You cannot. There has to be a system. Star Wars has the Force. Lord of the Rings has the magic. their magical system where it's divided from the gods. Harry Potter has their magic system which comes from the wands and the magical properties. The author can write it to come from anywhere, including nowhere. 
And that is what J.K. Rowling did. And how many stories do you know besides Harry Potter that do that? Because if it came from the wand, anyone could be a witch or wizard. It has to come from you. Then how do you explain it's people not with no magical drawing parents? on anything? Then how can people with no magical parents just comes from you? It comes from the wand. No, it can't. You can't. Okay, if you have two people then who aren't magic and they have a kid who isn't magic, you're telling me that they can just oh, I'm magic now. If it comes from the wand, simply possessing a wand would make you a witch or wizard, which would explain why Muggles can use magic. You can explain that simply enough. How does my daughter have blonde hair? Well, my daughter does too. But right. I was born with blonde but hair. But I have black hair, and my wife has dark brown hair. But she was born with blonde hair. There's a recessive gene. Well, I can tell you. I can explain the magic out of a muggle family with a recessive gene. Hyper rare recessive gene. Not not an issue. You can, but J.K. Rowling hasn't come out and said that's the reason. No, so J.K. Rowling get that doesn't need to give a reason. Okay. Yes, it, okay. But it I is, can tell you it can't come from the wand. It's her story. It's her world. I'm just saying what would make sense is because every other science fiction and fantasy universe has a magic system in play for a reason with ordinances and all this other laws, essentially. The laws of magic. So then... Harry Potter somewhere, and if I read read the books, I might find it, but they have to have a system in place. It can't just be because it is. It can. I'm not saying it can't. It can be that way. What he's saying is it bothers him that it is that way. (laughs) Thank you, Phil. It is that way, and he doesn't like it. Which is also what I feel about... That's one of my favorite parts of Harry Potter, actually, is the fact that there is no... There's no need for an explanation. There's no, yeah, there's no law of magic. I mean, there is no, There are. it must work this way. Okay, that's what I was going to say. There are laws, but not to what we think of with other fantasy realms. Right. With, uh, with any other magic system, you have hard limits. Now, there are some hard limits in Harry Potter, don't get me wrong. I mean, the creation of a Horcrux, great example of hard limits in magic. But you don't have the hard limit on a form of mana or it being linked to your life essence or it being linked to your energy pool, like however you know much endurance you have. Mm-hmm. That's one of my favorite things about Harry Potter, but it is also one of my least favorite things about Harry Potter because it makes the story seem a little bit plastic. See, and that's Magic the Gathering lore is kind of the same way because you have Orzhov. Mm-hmm. which is the blue-white. Right. They are, sorry, that's uh, black-white, and you have, then you have Demir, Gruul, Golgari, Azorius. Mm, but magic changes so much. It doesn't, though. The magic systems are always the same. Right. But, but it's the different... There's so much to keep track of because there's just pumping out new cards to get you to buy more and but more it's and also more, and lore. it's so expensive, and I hate that I love it. <laughs> but the, <laughs> That's true. But the lore behind it is like, I actually didn't buy any cards from Kamigawa Neon Dynasties. And I bought, I bought one, I bought one thing from Target of the new Capenna that just came out a couple weeks ago. I thought about picking a few of those up. You want to do it and I'll tell you why. I know why. I pulled, I pulled three rares and a mythic. Oh, so I shouldn't do it because Cameron took all the luck. Oh yeah. I'm going to get all commons. (laughs) 
Here's the thing. I ended up pulling double of what I paid for for the three draft packs. Yeah. I went and traded them at the, one of the local game stores here, and I bought a bunch of other crap with the, the stuff that I made. Here's the thing about that, Cameron. You're lucky. In my experience, there's no such thing as luck. On my experience, there is <laughs> bad luck. <laughs> and if it wasn't for bad luck, I would have no luck at all. Well, although I'll pick the pack out for you, then how about that? Although I'm you still, can open it. I'm, I'm still looking for my Crusader. Um, <laughs> I want that card so much. Oh, you mean the one that I have? Yeah. The Crusade? Yeah. Yeah. I want that card. The fourth edition? Yes. You want me to know how much that one's worth? I don't actually want to know. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you either. I don't want to know, but I want one. <laughs> yeah. It was banned because it was deemed illegal. Yeah, it was deemed, uh, well, illegal. Racist. Right. <laughs> I don't know how. I was like, dude, it's a card. I. There is a card, I will say, that was banned, forever banned. It's called Invoke Prejudice. <laughs> it was like, it was like, deny the spell from a color of a spell that you don't like. It, it, I'm paraphrasing, but I was like, okay, I can see why that one would be banned, but it's a card game. Oh, you're playing okay, that I color have, card? I, I now have two cards that I need. <laughs> Good luck finding one that's not a proxy and that's not over $400. Yeah, I know. But anyways. You never know. I've stumbled across a couple of magic decks at like garage sales that people didn't know what they were worth. Oh, I plan on actually, I have a bunch of commons and uncommons I'm going to sell on eBay. Oh, just because I have a bunch do of it. doubles and triples. Don't do it. Retirement fund, Cameron. Okay, well... <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> I think um, Magic the Gathering has some really cool... That's a... Oh, gosh. That's a whole other episode, dude. We, oh, we Magic the Gathering. Episode. I'm not doing an episode on Magic the Gathering. You will because we've had to listen to your Warhammer 40K rants. You know you want to do a Magic one. All right, Cameron's... I will be here for Rainbow that episode, decks. but let's face it. It's going to be a Cameron episode. Rainbow decks. Rainbow decks are wonderful and incredibly hard to balance. <gasps> Well, I think uh, I think moving on in the universes away from fantasy, unless you had anything else to say. No. Um, we can jump into sci-fi now. Halo doesn't really have a, any kind of a... I mean, the, the one thing I do like about Halo is how how close to home the humans seem in the future. Like how the similarities between weapon advancements vehicular advancements space exploration like that seems what we could achieve it, it does keep it a little more localized it's and linear it, makes it feel more real yeah uh personally the thing i like the most about halo is probably the ship design which you which ships you all of them before yeah all of them you said you you i say this every episode you hate the covenant ships i do well, then you can't love them. I, no, no, no. I love the ship design. I don't love the ships. I hate the ships. I think they look terrible. The color schemes are but amazing. They, but they look alien. They're that very European they are designed, basic color. Yeah. They are designed to look alien. And they do an excellent job. And that's why I hate them is because they're so ugly. <laughs> because they look alien. Right. You look at the human ships. They're mechanical. They're boxy. They're... they're 
everything you would expect from a battleship created by humanity to go through space. We don't care about curves. We don't care about aerodynamic. Aerodynamic. We care about being fast. We don't care about evasive maneuvers. Big guns. Just blow a big hole in the side. Who cares? Right. <laughs> and it it's everything you would desire. You know what fixes that? More guns. Right? <laughs> more guns and more armor. Exactly. <sighs> I also appreciate like the the exoskeletal suits. Like the ODSTs. The drop troopers and not 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 the Spartans. Because that's more like that's that's pushing a it. True suit, but the ODST suit. is what we would achieve. I mean, we're already in the works of making those kinds of biomechanical suits for our soldiers. Obviously, we're 20, 30 years from expertise. Aside from maybe the shields, because that it just seems far fetched. I'm not sure how you would make a shield. Electromagnetism. Uh, think about it. Okay electromagnetism it wouldn't only if stop. it's a metallic item okay but the, you didn't let me finish so i can stab you with a wooden sword and i'm good okay but then you're not going to get through the armor just let just let me finish because how I sharpen. we're gonna well that's true that is true i mean the ewoks proved that in star wars <laughs> <laughs> but, okay it does. so an electromagnetic shield is the only thing that could make sense because it wouldn't stop a projectile, but it would slow it down enough to not do that much damage All to right. the person. I'm going to say this. Unless it's... Because pla- if it's plasmatic, it would break down the plasmatic particulates. It is not the only shielding that makes sense. It's it's the most feasible, I feel Probably. like. Probably. With technology right now, it's the most feasible. But quantum physics has proven there are forces beyond our knowledge. Well, there's more than four states of matter that people seem to forget about. <laughs> <laughs> we okay. won't get into that. <laughs> so so one of the things that, first of all, we have a force that is invisible, can attract. It's called gravity. Yes. All you'd have to do is master that and you'd be able to... I was going to say dark matter. <laughs> You're, yes. I got the face, everybody. That is... <laughs> Okay, we don't know enough about dark matter to know what it's possible. No, we only know that it's 90% of the galaxy. Right, but it might have... (laughs) So antimatter might actually have anti-gravity. We don't know that for sure because we we don't harness it. We don't. But But Mass Effect almost proves that. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Okay, so so hear me out. Now, I am not a physicist. I am not college educated in physics or quantum physics or astrophysics but we've studied enough to know i've read a little bit here and there i'm modest i know don't know what antimatter truly is like we know what it is we don't know all of its qualities we know what it is we don't know its capabilities but what we do know is it's essentially the opposite of matter and if matter has gravity antimatter (laughs) <laughs> antimatter could have anti-gravity, a gravitational force that repels. Now, this makes a degree of sense because there is something in the universe pushing stuff apart. Yeah, dark matter. We it's, don't know for sure that that's dark why matter, dark energy, antimatter do. are doing Dark matter is 90% of the galaxy, and I believe dark energy is the other 10% of the galaxy. And but what it's doing is it's pulling the galaxies apart. We believe, yes. We don't have actual, as far as I know, we don't have actual proof of that because we haven't put anything that close to dark matter. We do have proof of that because galaxies are they're expanding beyond belief. Right, right. In three million years, the Andromeda galaxy is going to be right next to us. 
I mean, that enough... That doesn't mean it's expanding. That means it's moving. No, it is expanding, though. That's the thing. Anyways. So theoretically, with anti-matter or anti-gravity or whatever you use to produce that force, I don't know if that force exists, but it seems like something like it must. If you could condense an item to produce an anti-gravitational field away from you, you could physically push any physical item, including a plasma or potentially an energy but do you know how much power that would take to harness that for an overshield exactly that's my point that's why that's why i think that's why i think electromagnetism is just the most simple you create a negative and a positive charge at opposite ends do you know how much power that takes not as much as an antimatter shield are you riding around with a star on your back no i'm from the star trek universe (laughs) oh that makes perfect sense (laughs) It just is, dude. Don't question it. Or the Star Wars. I mean, I mean, too. Star Wars is a little more, I guess, a little more linear in that sense. But yeah. I can't appreciate that, that Halo feels more... At home. Yeah. It feels closer. It does. Actually, that is... That's Even the weapons. Way. Even look at look at the weapons. The assault <laughs> the, rifle. The, the mag gun. Then that's my favorite. The mag gun. Just oh, launch gun. a big old slug at something. Here, put it at like 90% of the speed of light and then fire it that way. Here's 3 million kilotons of power. Oops, we just blew up a hole in the planet. No big deal. I missed. What did take out? <laughs> the moon? <laughs> so, that actually brings a great, uh, a great segue to a universe I hadn't even thought of before starting this episode. And, and for me, it's Stargate. Oh, we, that we, does it even better than Halo. Really? They make it feel at home. Well, yeah, because it's set, it's actually set in our time period. Well, well, the 90s. 20 years ago. But, but roughly it was set at the time. And they did a really good job of making it feel like it might be possible. Like, obviously it's not. Well, and I'm not, gates and wormhole travel. Like, that's, like obviously it's not possible. But, right. like... The fact that it was in they, our time period of things we've experienced technologically. Well, and they wrote it in such a way to make it feel like this is a sci-fi that's happening parallel to us without us knowing. And it's really cool storyline. And you know they did a good job because there's conspiracy nuts who actually believe <laughs> that it was the Air Force releasing information so that they could divert people and make them believe that it was sci-fi oh, that aliens came here and dropped the pyramids down no 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 they they built the pyramids here had the people do it because it was a landing pad for their ship oh yeah that's right that makes sense yeah <laughs> i that's how good of a job the writers did though is they actually made some nuts believe that it was a conspiracy theory i love it yeah the goa'ulds are a really cool alien race i just like I really cool. They're gross. I wanted to be, honestly, and might shock a lot of you. Growing up, I wanted to be an Egyptologist. Who didn't as a kid? For, like, that's really cool. Even into my early teens, still. And I just wanted to be an archaeologist. I was just I was so fascinated with ancient Egypt and all their, I mean, their technology for the time. They created beer. They created paper. Well, not paper as we know it, but papyrus, which they used to write on. They created their own symbolic language with 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 enunciations, like, but they were such a primitive culture. The fact that they lived for thousands of years is just the longest living. 
I don't want to say the longest. I'd have to ask my brother. I think he's Chinese. A, he's an anthropology teacher, but they're one of the longest living ancient civilizations. I think it's Chinese. Uh, if I remember. that's just bouncing in my head, but but the Goa'uld's like I love how they have that ancient Egyptian tie to like the gods and their like everything like that. And they did a really good job with tie it, it in to make people worship them. Like that's why they had those gods. Stargate's cool. And my favorite tie-in from our world to the Stargate world was Atlantis. Yes. Oh, that was a beautiful story. Something that I've always been fascinated with as well, like... The mythos of Atlantis? Not the Disney movie, no. What? No? No. I thought that's what we were talking about. Yeah, 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 that one. It's a really cool, (laughs) and I think it's kind of like any other mythos story. It's just... There's just so much we don't know. They had an unexplained thing, so somebody with a really creative mind explained it. I feel like I feel like there's so much more we could be doing to uncover these things, but I don't know, theological and archaeological digs are so expensive nowadays. It's like people are just it's just a dying field of science that it's just it's sad. Right, but I think it's dying because we know so much more than we did, and that's also breathing dying new life people into people are it. losing interest because we're not getting anywhere. Yeah, we are. We're uncovering more things. I think I just found. Look at Gobekli Tepe. That totally changed the belief of of how early humans were making uh, embossed carvings. Okay, but, well, true. But it bumped it back like 6,000 years. I was going to say it went back further than ancient Egypt, but I was reading an article the other day. Some. I don't remember what what they were studying, but they went to. Um, deep down into the ocean I can't remember which ocean I'd have to pull it up but they found an obelisk of obsidian that had been preserved for they said thousands of thousands of years was that the dig off South America? I don't think so oh okay I think it was somewhere in the Mediterranean but they had oh, really? pulled it up obsidian so like Crete area or it would it was further back I think because when they pulled it up it was ancient Egyptian it had a sphinx on it it had it had hieroglyphics but it was something else that was even predating parts of the 3200 BC era so they're thinking that parts of ancient Egypt could have actually preceded its origination that we know of now that's really cool see what I mean like it's random crap like that where it's like my question is, is how do you polish obsidian it was preserved in the water, dude. No, 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 no. I mean, I mean, like, how do you make an obelisk out of obsidian? That would be really hard because that's a fairly fragile rock. Uh, and maybe uh, I'm just thinking, well, it's glass. But yeah. maybe I'm just thinking of like, oh, it's super huge because ancient Egyptian obelisk. Maybe it's only like 12 feet tall. I don't know. It Well, when the guy was standing next to it, it was like when they had pulled it out of the ocean and they had set it down on the dock next to their their where their ship was docked. It looked like it was probably ten feet tall. Okay, so that's not huge. No, but for obsidian, I mean, this thing had to have weighed god thousand as much as a almost as much as a truck. Probably, I'd imagine. But it was so pristine, having been in crystal clear Mediterranean waters for who knows how long. That's really cool. Because glass, as we know, doesn't really age. See, and I didn't necessarily want to be an Egyptologist. Oh, I did. I wanted to be an arch- uh, an archaeologist. I I didn't want Egypt. I like Egypt. Really cool. Really interesting. 
I wanted to study ancient egg roll recipe. No. <laughs> Either South Central Central and South America. Okay. Or like Norway. Like the Vikings. Ooh. And and really the thing that got me about archaeology was you're not going to get a job after college. No, I, I'm just incredibly <laughs> digging a hole, not knowing what you're going to find, but trying to uncover something new about something that happened thousands of years ago. That just, that sounds so cool. It's too bad I'm not smart enough to do it. You're not smart enough to dig a hole? Apparently not. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I do it all the time. Not enough to go $80,000 worth in debt for a college degree for anyways. Yeah, basically. Uh, well, I think we can wrap up with maybe Star Trek and Star Wars. Mm, Star... Well, let's do Mass Effect real quick because I know you're not going to have a lot to say about it. But Fair enough. I, what I love about Mass Effect is how the galaxy is completely one. Yes, there are renegades. Yes, there are pirate groups. But it's united. But the entirety of the galaxy is united and the council is a one member from each alien race including humans up until the latest the latter parts of the years and those humans represent all of their race there's one currency but each each race retains their individuality they have their own weapons their own ships their own militaries their own currency well they have a galactic currency a galactic credit but they trade and barter in other ways. See, and what I like about Mass Effect is how much of a knockoff of EVE Online it is. I think it's better than EVE Online. And it's not even close to anything related to EVE Online. What are you talking um, about? I don't know. They're faster than light travel through gates that jump you. They don't use gates. Well, whatever they are. They the use relays, re re Reaper technology of relays. Mass relays where you go to an item that floats in space and it shoots you to the next, next system over. Yeah, I know. It's nothing like Eve. When did Eve Online come out? Oh, I have no idea. Well, let's look that up because I think Mass Effect's older than Eve Online. It might be, but it's it's still it's still garbage compared to Eve. <laughs> oh yeah. I'm sorry. Eve is a video game that has a completely player controlled uh, marketplace where everything in the game, or essentially everything in the game, was created by a player, mined for by a player, created by a player, sold by a player, resold if sold again researched by players you have to not only do you have to mine for the materials you don't just get the materials you don't just get drops you have to do the same thing in mass effect you have to mine planets you have to actually send out probes and find stuff you have to actually wander the planet to look for things it's not a knockoff yeah. eve's eve's a little more i would say simplistic entertaining it's a little more simplistic than oh mass there's effect. no way yes no. Depends on your play style. Uh, it's not simplistic based on the fact that there's tens of thousands of people playing on one server on Well, Mass Effect Eve. is a single-player game exactly. with a storyline so and a campaign. Obviously, it? it's more simplistic. Everything's walked through for you. I've played Eve. I appreciate Eve, but I appreciate the science fiction and the actual like storyline of Mass Effect. kind of want to get back into Eve just because it's totally open world, and I love that about it. Cause don't want to get back into it because it's kind of expensive and um, and not necessarily on a money side, but it's expensive on time. It's uh, just everything takes so long. Well, I think 
I think Mass Effect, for what it is, is an amazing game, and Bioware killed it. And I'm so glad they released a Legendary Edition because the graphics, it's a brand new game. And he, then Drew Carpishan wrote the books. He also wrote a lot of Star Wars novels. Those novels are... He's a great author. Spot on. I mean, just how much the story <laughs> draws you in. Like it's, it's a lot like Halo in the sense of where we're going with science. Is like, yeah, take... Take element zero and all the reverse gravitational stuff out of it. But technologically advancing in the future, Mass Effect hits it on the head. I think we can talk about um, Star Trek some other time just as a... I mean, we don't do a whole lot of Star Trek. It's one of my favorite universes. Mine too, but I feel that one, we've got a lot to say about Star Trek. I think if we start opening that can of worms, this will be three-hour ordeal. <laughs> Even Star Wars, I feel like, would be pushing it, but... Uh, I think I can control myself on Star Wars because most of the people listening would know what my feelings on Star Wars are. I don't think I'd be able to control myself on Star Wars. Fair enough. Okay. For lack of wanting to do a second episode, not not want because we'd love bringing you guys new content, but I'll narrow my likes of Star Wars down to two things. Once. <sighs> And I'll start One. with mine so Cameron can think about what he wants to say. There's so much brain hurts. Okay, go ahead. I think my favorite thing, the thing that draws me to Star Wars, is the simplicity of the good versus evil plot. Okay. It's a very refreshing thing to see a fairly modern franchise have a very simple good versus evil and not have it be muddled with gray of well there's nuance well there's you know i'm bad but i'm not really bad and i'm good but i'm not really good i just want to see good guy kill bad guy every once in a while are you so you're talking about the original film the original films the original six films you know the good ones yeah it really it really is that basic it's literally light side versus dark yeah and it's it gets a little complicated in the U. It gets a little complicated in the in the U. But it's supposed to. It, well, it does. Whether it's supposed to or not is kind of irrelevant. Well, when you start opening up, when you start bringing in more characters, more stories, more planets, more races, it's more everything, to. it's 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 natural. Well, and the no, natural direction of those stories is going to be to gray. Well, and no offense to George Lucas, every author is different, and I don't. I don't mean this in a negative way to him because I think he's a great writer. He's a great director. But the the people writing the stories after him, they wrote them in a way to make them more interesting than George Lucas did. Mm. He wrote a very black and white film. I mean, there's some gray in it, but there isn't everything. Think about the time that he was writing it. Right. But then you have the EU where, I mean... Revan's a great example of a gray character who's light than dark than light than dark, and he never really gets back to one or the other. But at the same time, it's like so convoluted. Yeah, I love the story. Yeah, yeah, I see what you mean, and and that's why I love Star Wars. It's what brought me in. It was just I I watched the first movie, you know, not number four, number one, The Phantom Menace. That's what I started on. But I feel like a lot and of it's... it was it was. Big, scary, spiky, red dude versus the good guy, Liam Neeson. Like, how awesome is that? It's. I feel like parts of it are supposed to be obscure by nature. Right. Because, like I said, once you start adding in all these new variables, things are going to get muddied. 
It's going to get changed. The course of the stories is going to change no matter what. Well, and he was telling a segment of a segment of a story. Exactly. I mean, far, far away in a, in a, ga- or a galaxy far, far away a long, long time ago. He's telling a story of a place that he's created from his head. And he did a really good job of doing it in a movie form. Had he wrote a book, it would have been like taking on writing The Lord of the Rings. Yeah. So the fact that he was able to simplify it into an hour and a half, two hour movie, really incredible. Did a really great job. I love that. I think my one thing that I, the thing that stands out to me the most with Star Wars, not just because I grew up with it, thanks to my father, but it's literally the way it portrays us as human beings in our world, our reality. You have the choice between doing right and doing wrong, and both of those have repercussions. If you want to be, you know, if you want to be a jerk, okay, fine, be a jerk. People aren't going to like you. You're not going to go along with people. That's fine. If you want to be good and you want to be holy or you want to be whatever, be that way. That's fine. But you will have a pull to do bad things and to experience other things in life. Right. And I feel like in reality, that's how it is. I mean, so you like the metaphor. You like the good, the, the light and dark. Uh, thing. You get to choose your human nature metaphor. I wouldn't say metaphor as much as I would reality. Well, okay. You, you mold your reality based on your experiences in life. Well, absolutely. That is a reality. And you always have a chance for redemption. But the force is a metaphor of that reality. Okay. You always have a chance for redemption, no matter which path you take. And there's always going to be consequences, good and bad. Right. Of both paths. If you're solely good, there will be bad consequences. If you're solely bad, there will be good consequences. I mean, you never know. If you get into a situation where it's fight or flight, yeah, I might have to throw down and, and you know, kick some ass. But I'm not going to go down without swinging. You know what I mean? Should I turn the other cheek? Maybe. If I was light side, but I'm not <laughs> saying I'm light side. Like I'm gonna throw down. Right, but just because you don't turn the <laughs> cheek doesn't make, necessarily make you dark side. Exactly. So it's There's that nuance there. It's that correlation between our lives and making the right decisions to get where you need to be in life, and how there will be things, obstacles, people, places that will knock you down, and it's how you get back up and how you respond that makes the difference. It is a the force is a really cool metaphor for balance of the force I, I, how do i say this the force being in balance or being light side dark side there's a really cool metaphor there for a lot of things in life um not just in hum- your humanity or your decisions or your path but also in just you can see that everywhere i mean if you plant a tree and you don't water it there are ramifications. Yeah. And the force is kind of like that. If you are a force wielder and you don't water your force tree, terrible metaphor, with I think we get what you're trying side. to say. Yeah. So there's, it's a really, that's kind of cool. I've never really thought about that. You reap what you sow. Yeah. There, there is definitely that metaphor there. I like that's, that. That's stuck with me my whole life. Like everything, not just from my, like that's just how I tie Star Wars to me personally. Like, I look at Anakin, and the reason I appreciate his character so much is because I aspire... Because Cameron, too, hates sand. Well, I hate... <laughs> and, and sand people. <laughs> Look, that's because they're not human. It's 
it's like you see him. He wants he wants to be free. He wants to do all these things. He doesn't want to be held back. He doesn't want to be questioned. But he also wants to be good. He wants to be loyal. He wants to be passionate. Well, and he wants to be guided by a good master, but he doesn't want to be forced. He doesn't to want fall. the principles to weigh him down when the right. decision comes to him. Right. And that's what I respect. Just the things I've experienced in my life, I can relate to that. When people and things in life hold you down. You know when you relate to the villain, it's probably not good. He's not. Anakin isn't the villain. Darth Vader's the villain. I relate to Anakin's decisions. That's a really thin line. It is not a thin line. Who created Vader? Palpatine. Anakin. <laughs> Palpatine. Anakin. The first time he slaughtered the sand no, people. No, because Palpatine gave him the name Vader. Well, absolutely. He gave him the name. <laughs> he named Anakin's creation. Anakin was not The villain. Evil. Anakin was not totally the villain. Okay, well that's the episode for their. Oh, he's not evil. Did did you tell that to the younglings? Huh? (laughs) (laughs) Or the or the sand people? All right, all right. Well, I I I think that's all we got with you folks today. Um, As always, please join the Discord. Get us some more Q and A's, you guys. Come on, I see more people from Australia joining the Great Outback. Our brothers. Get on the wagon, guys. <laughs> Get on the wagon, you you Aussies. We we love you guys. I finally saw a spike in our numbers from Australia. So that's on. I look forward to it. Out, yeah. I look forward to it. Join the Discord. Come in. Give us a chat. We love talking to you guys. You know, and send us some more questions. Email. Keep in touch. And uh, Cameron's eventually going to start social media pages. Promise. Well, at least I wanted to start with the Discord because it was easy. Well, maybe after things change. (laughs) (laughs) If we start now, we get the upkick. That's true. All right. All right. But uh, yeah, we'll see you guys next week. Have a good one.